Good morning, everybody. How are you? Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Ian Somerville. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here in Journey. And uh, again, uh, my lovely wife is uh, Jill. And I have the gorgeous little Thai child who is uh, causing chaos wherever he goes. Uh, so if you don't know Jonah, um, you'll, and if you're only here and you don't know Jonah, you'll get to know Jonah probably quicker than you get to know anybody else in church. Because he will come up and introduce himself to you. He is not a shy child. Okay. Uh, can I thank everybody for the lovely messages and the prayers and things over the last couple of weeks? Uh, I thought I was some form of superhero and I would go in. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I had my gallbladder removed three weeks ago. And I thought, a couple of days, I'll be fine. No. No, it was uh, a wee bit more involved than that, and there were a few wee complications afterwards, but thank you for the, the prayers and all those things. It's genuinely really appreciated. I did learn a few things about myself. Uh, one, I kind of knew this one already, but I am not a good patient. I am not a good patient. I was not made for lying on the sofa. I was not made for sitting down. I was made for actually doing things. Jill might dispute some of that. Um, uh, but... Uh, the second thing I learned is that I am absolutely replaceable at work, but I am not replaceable at home. Okay? Uh, Jonah, he doesn't care that daddy's sick. He wants to bounce on daddy, and he wants to, daddy to come and play with him. And it's actually been, that's actually been one of the hardest things over the past few weeks, not being able to get down on the floor and play pop-up pirate or pop-up daddy or whatever imagination he's playing at the time. And the third thing that I've learned is that I actually do really need to look after my health. I'm one of those crazy people, and I'll tell a story later that shows that I'm just like my father. Um, I'm one of those people I run very hard at things, and I don't always think about my own health and the impact that things can have on. So you can guarantee that over the next while, I will be very key on that things, and you should look after your health too. It's really, really important. So put that to the side. I get to introduce this new sermon series. It's called Gone Fishing. Okay, look at that. It's like finding, uh, it could be finding John Ash, I don't know. Um, he's here. Um, finding Nemo, uh, Gone Fishing. If you know me, you know that there are better people in this church to talk about fishing. Okay, I don't see Andy. Is Andy about this morning? No, Andy's not here. Or Ethan or John. And I know there's fishermen meet here sometimes every so often, every, every month or so. There's, there's actually a fishing club meet here in our building. I am the least qualified person to talk about fishing. I did try it a lot as a child, okay? When I was sort of a, 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 when I was sort of a young teen, my, my friends were really into fishing, so I went fishing with them. I was useless at it. There was a famous occasion where I went to cast off my fishing rod. I, I don't know how this happens. Because you know the whole thing's connected with fishing line. The end of my fishing rod flew off and went into quite a fast-flowing river and headed off down the river and got stuck in some reeds. Which my friend and I decided it would be a great idea if we got into this fast-flowing river to rescue this cheap piece of plastic. Um, my dad arrived just as we got into the river and were being swept away, and I think he nearly had a heart attack. So I am not a fisherman. The other thing, I used to get teased because I would bring this big tackle box of stuff, um, and uh, it looked like the real deal, but when you opened it up, there was pretty much nothing in it, okay? Now I'm going to challenge you this morning. Quite often we come to church with the Bible and with the tackle box, and it looks like all the stuff, but when you open it up, there's nothing inside. So if you felt comfortable at the start of this, ser this sermon this morning, get ready to feel really uncomfortable. This is not going to be comfortable to preach and it's not going to be comfortable to hear. This is a really challenging message this morning, 
okay? I'll start off with what is the big idea? What am I actually trying to achieve this morning? And it's really simple. My job this morning is to get you to do something, anything for Jesus, okay? That's the point of this sermon today, is actually to get you up off your sofa and actually go and do something for Jesus. And if I can achieve any of that this morning, if I can inspire anybody to actually go and do something for Jesus this morning, I will have achieved what God has put in my heart. God has not put an easy message to preach in my heart today. It is not going to be an easy message to hear, but we have become a lazy, apathetic group of people, and God needs us to get up off our backsides and actually go and do something for the kingdom of God in this time. All right? It's already very quiet in here. This is great. Okay. So, um, the thing I want to kind of start with is the thing that I'll end with as well. Christianity is a belief system. Yep, okay. We believe that Jesus came. He was incarnated as fully God yet fully man. He died on the cross to bear the weight and the burden of all of our sins to make us right with God as the only pure spotless sacrifice Not only did he die, he actually descended into hell. He went into hell for three days. He steals the keys of death and hell. Satan doesn't even have the keys to his own house. And on the third day, he rose again, defeating death so that we could be welcomed into a perfect relationship with God the Father and we could be restored to who God fully created us to be. Okay, but Christianity is a belief system. And I hope everybody agrees with what I just said because that's kind of simple, pure Christian doctrine right there. However, Christianity is also a lifestyle. Okay? So if you've got the belief system ticked, and you're going, happy days, I believe the right things, everything Ian said there, I believe that passionately, I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm now on vacation. If that's you, you're going to get a real rocket where the sun doesn't shine today, you're going to get told that that actually isn't acceptable. That is not, that's not living a Christian lifestyle. If you're saved and happy that you're going to heaven and not doing anything, you are an ineffective Christian. You actually need to start doing something. And here's the thing. It all starts with calling. Okay? It starts with calling. That's where we're going to begin today. Would you turn for me to Matthew chapter 4? I'm going to be reading this in the ESV because I I really like the ESV. It's a really good translation. Um, But remember, we are always reading a translation of Scripture. What we're reading is a translation. And sometimes we don't get things because of the way it's translated. Sometimes things are translated differently in different versions. The ESV is a relatively accurate translation. Okay, so let's take a look at, uh, we're going to start at verse 17 here. And here's what it says. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now let's just pause here. Okay. Jesus' ministry begins here. This is Jesus' ministry starting. This is the beginning of Jesus going out to minister. What's his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of Jesus requires a response. It requires us to do something. We can either repent or not. But the message of Jesus is repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your evil lifestyle. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? Now, 
If you look further back in this passage, if you look towards the, the start of, of Matthew chapter four, what you'll see is that Jesus' ministry is birthed in adversity, okay? You, you look back here and you see what happens just before Jesus starts in ministry is John the Baptist, who was sent in that spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah coming, is put in jail. Okay? He's arrested, he's put in prison. There is a v- adversity, there's difficulties that come and Jesus' ministry, Jesus' response to that is, right, it's, this is time. It's time for me to start my ministry. The way has been prepared, it's time for me to go now. All right? Quite often you will find that good things get birthed in adversity. I, I don't turn away from adversity. I don't turn away from hard times. It's not easy when you're in the midst of them, but hard times, adversity, it's not just character building. It's God does something in adversity because when we carry and we walk through adversity, when we walk through difficult things and we come out through those things, we're actually different. God has shaped us. He has changed us and he's given us a message. Jesus comes with a very clear message here. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a very similar message to what John the Baptist carried. And I know this really personally because the reason I'm here today is because my family's ministry, my dad's ministry, was was absolutely birthed in adversity. My dad in 1996, like my dad, this is where you get to see that I am actually really quite like my dad. My dad was a secondary school teacher. He, uh, I'm a primary school teacher. He, my dad was also, uh, uh, he was also a lay preacher. He was a lay reader in the Church of Ireland. And he also worked, he had a part-time job where he actually worked uh, for the, uh, he was in the part-time reserve of the, the RUC as it was then, the PSNI as it is now. But my, my dad basically worked all week as a teacher. On Saturday, he went, on Saturday evenings, he went and he did a duty shift at night and then quite often was preaching on the Sunday morning. And usually he was out two or three times, maybe four times, maybe five times during the week, uh, ministering to people. And uh, it kind of got instilled into me that that's the pattern of life. You're kind of home, it's one of those things that you take on. TT talks about home concept. And that, that kind of was built into me. This is what the man does. The man goes out, he works. The man goes out and he, he provides for his family, even when it's hard. But in 1996, my dad was driving the police car uh, on duty on a Saturday night and had a horrific car crash. Now, he was in an armored car. If he, if he hadn't been in an armored car, he would have been dead. Okay. Him and the passenger with him, horrific car accident. And at that stage, I was, about, uh, I was about third year in school, and it seemed like dad was off work forever recovering with this. He was actually, he was in the secure wing of a hospital for a long time. It was a, it was a really, really tough time, uh, I remember this happening. Actually, I was about, I was like, actually, I was about P7 when this happened. Um, not, it mustn't have been 96. This, this is where my dates get foggy. I was in P7. What age would I What year would have been P7? Go on, Jill. Do your maths quickly. Okay, 91 to 92. Um, <clears throat> in 91 to 92, he had a, he had a car accident. Uh, <clears throat> this is where you need your wife to actually check your notes before you come up on stage. Um, really bad car accident. And in that time, doing all this stuff, suddenly all of those things taken out of his life, it actually gives space for God to speak to him really clearly. And what did God say? God said, I've called you to full-time ministry. And dad at that stage, at great personal cost to himself, at great cost to his family, great financial cost, 
It actually ultimately cost him his marriage. My dad went and he, uh, he trained as a Church of Ireland minister. And uh, there was a lot of good stuff came out of that, but his ministry was birthed in adversity. Adversity comes, if you're in a period of adversity right now, what is God looking to birth in your life? What is the ministry opportunity that God wants to bring out of those difficulties, out of those hard times? You gotta look for it. So let's, let's go on to the next part of this passage here. We'll go to verse 18, we'll just, we'll just read through it to 22. Um, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, say immediately. Immediately Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, immediately, say immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now I read that and I go, what is going on in this passage? What is going on here? Because if I'm at work and some random, even if some random pastor came into my office, came into my workplace and said, hey, come on, follow me, I'd be like, nope. <laughs> no, I'm busy. I'm, I'm doing stuff. So there's something going on here. What is the thing? Why do these men, and I actually do believe when it says immediately in scripture, it means immediately. They just put down their nets. I mean, James and John, they don't even help their dad in with the boat. They just go. So what is going on here? Because to Western eyes, to our mindset, this makes no sense at all. Now, Jesus at the time was known as a rabbi. He was known as a wise teacher. Now, it was a little bit more informal at this stage in Judaism to be a rabbi, uh, but Jesus was seen as a rabbi. He was seen as a teacher, okay? And what we have to understand, what we don't get when we look at this with a Western mindset is what Galilee was like at that time. Galilee was a center for trade. It was a fishing village. It was a trade place where lots of different cultures and lots of different ideas and lots of different thought patterns came in regularly. And the reaction to that was that the Jewish community in Galilee was probably the most religious Jewish community at the time. Okay? They were like super religious. They were super hungry to to do the right thing. It was a really religious Jewish community. Okay, What does that mean? Well, that means that there was a good education system in Galilee at the time. If you were from from the age of five, young men or young boys at that stage would have been put in to learn scripture. And I'm not talking about a couple of wee Bible verses here. They learned the Torah from start to finish. They could recite it for you. They knew scripture. They were brought up from a very early age learning scripture. And the best of them got to continue with their studies whilst learning a trade. That's what happened. They kept studying. They kept learning about uh, Judaism. They kept learning about the Torah. They kept learning about faith. 
and they also developed their trade. Quite often, trades went in families. Fishermen, which was the big trade in the time, was something that ran in families. The likelihood is that Peter's father was a fisherman, and maybe his grandfather before him, and the hope was that Peter's son would be a fisherman, and they would just keep it. And James and John, you see they're out in the boat with their dad. This was a family business. But what happened, the best students would get an opportunity to come to a rabbi and say, can I sit under you? And if the rabbi saw something in them, if the wise teacher saw potential in them, what the rabbi would do, he would say, come, follow me. But it happened for so few. It's almost like a Bethel internship. It just doesn't happen for everybody. Okay? The best of the best apply. And if they're really lucky, they get to follow John Ash. Okay? He wants some more interns. Pray John needs more interns. He's really struggling without them at the minute. Okay. They're coming back soon, John. Don't worry, we'll be all right. But the best of the best got the call, would you follow me? So when these men, you have to see it from their point of view, this was the highest thing that could possibly happen in their lives, to be called to follow a rabbi. To go and devote their lives to the study of the Torah, to the study of scriptures, and actually go on, and that was their life. That was the highest thing. It was higher than family. It was higher than work. It was higher than finance. That was it. It was the best thing that could possibly happen. So when a rabbi comes along and says, follow me, what Jesus is saying to them is, I see potential in you. I see that you can actually come and do this stuff. So they immediately follow because this is the dream. This is the thing that they have hoped for and dreamed for and aspired to their whole lives. So it doesn't make any sense to us. As we read this, we go, why? This was the moment that they had waited for, believed for, prayed for. They didn't. See, we can look at it and we can go, well, it's Jesus. Obviously, he's the son of God. Of course you would follow. They didn't know that. They, I, I firmly believe they, did, they didn't have super discernment. Okay, and if you actually look at some of the questions that the disciples ask and some of the things that the disciples do, you know that these men didn't have massive, like super spiritual discernment. They didn't know this was the Son of God, but they were being called by a rabbi and they were going to go. But the question is this what was the cost? What was the cost? You see, calling comes with a cost. And there is obviously a financial cost to this. These men are walking away from their boats. And if you read this account, this account appears in several gospels. You can actually see that Peter has more than one boat. Okay? He's leaving boats. Because if you, if you read the account, and I'll not get into this too much, the account of this story in Luke shows that Jesus actually directs them to go out and cast their nets again and they catch this massive trawl of fish so much that the other boats have to come in and help them. So the, the reality is here that these men were leaving livelihood. They were leaving their boats behind. They were leaving their nets that they'd inherited from their father behind. These things weren't cheap. They were leaving behind their financial provision, their security, they were leaving behind the possibility of success in the world's eyes. But if you see verse 20, immediately they left. See, and I actually do love this, that it's immediately. Because the reality is, 
If somebody came to me, even if a rabbi came to me and said, follow me, and I went, okay, this is the highest calling, this is the thing to go do. I would be like, well, you're going to have to give me three months because I'm going to need to go and speak to my bank manager. I'm going to need to move some money about. I have a bit of notice to leave with work. I have things to do here. I need to sort this out. I probably need, I need to go talk to my wife. All these things are going to have to happen. I'm going to, like, I'm going to need like three to six months. No, it's immediately. We don't put anything in order. We just go. We just go. That challenges me. So there was a huge financial cost to this. And here's the thing. When we're called from God, there is a financial cost. There's a financial cost in a whole lot of ways. There are other costs, and we'll look at those too. But here's the reality. If you, if you look at anything of the church planting li- literature, kind of like modern ecclesiological literature, you will see a thing called the rule of thirds. And this is going to offend some people. Okay? The rule of thirds is this. A third of the people in a church tithe. Did Christine hit this this morning? This aligns perfectly with Christine, what Christine said. A third of the people in church tithe. Those are probably the same third that do all the things. They show up. They put out the chairs. They're part of the community groups. They're helping on visuals. They're helping on worship. They're doing this. They're serving. They're serving. A third of the people do all that stuff. The second third give something. They'll serve a wee bit. They'll show up for this. They'll do that. Maybe give a couple of pounds into the offering basket. Every so often, that third do something. The last third, meh. They just kind of turn up every so often. And it's our church, but yeah, we go every other Sunday. And we, um, maybe we go once a month. And there's a special event on we might go. No, don't ask me for any money. I'm not giving you any money. Okay, do you understand the rule of thirds? So a third of the people basically do all the stuff. And the rest of us live on the back of the third of the people that do all the stuff. There is a financial cost. So it actually does cost you to be on mission. If you really believe in the mission, if you really believe in the call, if you really believe in the call of this church, you're going to invest in it. You're going to give in it. If you kind of sort of believe you're going to give a wee bit, and if you're not sure and you think we're all mad heretics, you're probably just going to turn up every so often and not give so much. And that's okay. It's okay to be in any of those categories. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but it's the reality. And it's not just the reality. Like I haven't gone through the I'm no accountant. I haven't gone to the church. I don't know what you're giving. I don't care what you're giving. Okay? John will tell you, finance ain't my thing. Okay? That's for other people to worry about. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Spend the money. It's great. Um, so I, I, I am not like looking through and going, oh, you're only giving this. and you're. You know yourself what you're giving to the Lord. You know yourself you're giving into this church. If this is your church, you should be tithing. You should be giving. You should be being generous with that. It releases us. Listen, I don't want your money. I do not want your money. That's not the point. We do not want your money. But if we're going to reach this community, if we're going to reach the people who are going to hell on our doorstep, we need as a church to start taking this thing really seriously. And that requires financial cost. It requires us to invest in this church. Because we have a mission. We have a mission. Remember, Christianity is not just a belief system. It's a lifestyle. It's going to cost us. But also it's going to financially cost you. If you're a businessman or you're out in the work, sometimes what happens is if we're following the call of Christ, there are certain things that we just can't do and it's going to financially cost us. 
Because the short term, the easy thing to do, and there are some people getting uncomfortable as they listen to this, is to go, well, I'll compromise here, and I'll tell a wee white lie here, and we'll get this big contract in, and then I'll give, them money to, I'll give some of the money to church. I'll be okay. I'll appease my conscience. Here's the thing. If we're following the call of God in our lives, we don't get to do that. It's going to cost us. It might cost you that really lucrative deal. We can't compromise on this stuff. There are other costs to see. We have to actually deny ourselves. And that doesn't just mean finance. That There's other stuff here too. I mean, there are, things, there are times when it would just be easy to sit on my sofa and to flick on the TV and to watch some rubbish and to just do nothing. But actually I have to deny that impulse and actually go and spend some time with Jesus. There are implications to how we live our lives, how we interact with our spouse, how we treat our children, how we treat our cogs, how we treat that person in the restaurant who's serving us who has done a really bad job and messed up our order. We have to deny our own impulses. We actually have to serve Christ. We have to show love where we don't want to show love. We have to show grace where we don't want to show grace. We have to show mercy where we don't want to show mercy. But there are other times as well, and I call this taking up your cross, where we actually have to stand up. We actually have to stand up. You see, the reality is, Jesus is sovereign over the whole world, but our culture is the domain of Satan. This culture... The spirit of this age is not Christian. It is not loving. Our culture has decided that evil is good and it's not. But here's the problem. If we're going to stand up and say that, we're going to be persecuted. And we don't like talking about it in churches like ours. We don't like talking about suffering and persecution. But the reality is, as the people of God, as Christians, we have to take up our cross. We have to say what is true and what is right and not be scared of the persecution and the consequences that come of that. I have made peace with the fact that because I will refuse to compromise on biblical principles and biblical patterns, at some point that could cost me opportunities in employment. At some point, my beliefs may well come in conflict with the spirit of the world and I might get myself in trouble in the world's eyes, but I will not compromise on the word of God. I will not compromise on what God says family is. I will not compromise and nor should you. Just because there's pressure to say that evil is good, it is not, it is evil and we will say so. Hmm. Don't be deceived. This world, yes, Jesus reigns victoriously, ultimately over it all. But this culture, the culture that we're living in, is not a good culture. And I will not compromise with it. So calling comes with a cost. The next thing I'm going to say to us is that you actually need to pursue your calling and not your potential. Okay? Now let me explain what I mean by that. When I say pursue calling, not your potential. The problem is my job is entirely focused on getting all of my employees and all of the kids in my school to reach their full potential. That's, that's literally my job, unlocking people's potential. I love it. Here, a better way of saying this might be just because you have the opportunity to do something doesn't mean you should do it. Just because you can do something, or even, dare I say, just because you're good at something, 
doesn't mean that's the thing to do. What I'm about to say will sound arrogant. It is not coming from an arrogant place. It's coming from an honest place. But the reality is that I have quite a number of talents. I have quite a number of gifts that God has given me. I have quite a lot of things that I'm actually quite good at. The problem is, for years and years of my life, I've pursued all those things. And what have I got at the end of it? Well, I have hundreds of things that I'm kind of mediocre at. But that's not... I've actually been wasting my time... Because God has called me, I have a very specific call in my life to do what? To do what I'm doing right now, to preach the gospel, to stir you up so that you would go and reach your sphere of influence, that we would actually go and storm the gates of hell, that we would go and see this town, this nation turned upside down for Jesus Christ. That's my calling. I know what God has called me to do. And when I've been doing anything else, and I've been investing in and growing in anything else, actually, I've been focusing on my potential and the things that I can do and not the thing that I'm called to do. That's probably the thing that I'm gifted in the least, believe it or not, is what I'm doing right now. I've had to work at it. I've had to invest in it. I've had to spend time. I've had to study scripture. I've had to give my life to something that's been harder for me to do. The question is this, do you know what you're called to do? I know what I'm called to do. Do you know your calling? Because if you don't know your calling, this is going to be really difficult because you'll try your hand at everything. And that's okay. But once you know what you are put on this earth to do, what you're called to do, you razor sharp, focus on that, do that, follow that, go after that, and you will see the fruit of it because that's what God's actually called you to do. So if you don't know your calling, can I encourage you to spend the next Little period of time. Listen, I know some of us are much more contemplative than others. You maybe need to go and spend a month with the Lord in solitude, journaling and trying to work this stuff out. Some of you will go and God, well, what am I called to do? And God will give you an answer and you'll be, you'll be on it straight away. But we actually need to know what we're called to do. If, if you're not sure this morning, I'm going to give you some suggestion. All right? <clears throat> See, life needs meaning. If you look at society today, There is an epidemic of depression and anxiety because people do not have meaning to their lives. And it is as true in here in the church as it is out there in the world. And I'm not arrogant enough to assume that this is the only reason, but this is a reason why some people have lost their meaning, why people have lost where they're at. This is is some of the reason. And the reason is this. If you don't have meaning right now, it is potentially because you've taken Christianity as a belief system, but not as a lifestyle. You've taken Christianity and you go, great, I believe the right things. I've got the start here. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Box ticked. Vacation. And you mightn't even ever vocalize that, but you come to church and you have your wee church friends and you do this, but actually God needs us to do something for him. Because here is the reality. When he comes to Peter, he goes, Peter, you see all these gifts that you have in fishing. You see all of these things that you can do. Could you take that talent and instead of catching fish, would you go and catch men? Because here's what it is all about, folks. And I am saying this, I ain't a fisherman. And I ain't an evangelist, but it is all about evangelism. The reason this church exists, and let us never forget it, is because there is a dying world of people at our doorstep who are literally going to hell. There are people who you know, 
who you love, who need to hear about Jesus. To need to hear that Jesus is not our way. He is the only way to salvation. And here's the problem. We sit in here in our little clubs, in our little happy meetings, and we forget that the people we meet who don't know Jesus are literally going to hell. The question is, is that your calling? Because that is the calling of this church. We are called to go. If you want meaning in your life, come and get on mission. Come and get on that call. Come and give your life to that. Come and reorientate your finances to that. See, if we actually looked at our own finances, this is the main thing. Going after the town. Evangelism is the main thing. I'm not an evangelist the same way I'm not a fisherman, but I talk to people about Jesus all the time. I have had the privilege of leading lots of people and praying with lots of people and introducing them to Jesus. I have had that privilege lots and lots of times. And a lot more since I realized, actually, I have a mission to see this world changed. Not just make people happy in church. That is not the job of this church. The job of this church is to stir you up, to get you empowered with the Holy Spirit, to give you an impartation that we would go and reach the community. That we would go and see Antrim transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come on. The gospel still works today. Evangelism still needed today. The lost still need Jesus today. The question is, are you going to go? Are you going to become fishers of men? Are you going to take what you have? Are you going to count that cost? See, the middle bit counts. We know the start, we've got saved. We know we're going to heaven. This bit in the middle counts. What we do counts. If the worship team want to come back up. I want to ask us a few questions at the end here. Question one is this. Are you pouring yourself into your calling? Do you know what your calling is? Are you pouring yourself into it? Not, well, I'm thinking about it and, well, I might do this. What is it? And go after it. Second question is this. If you are pursuing your calling, if you are pouring yourself out in ministry, are you actually getting a better rest? Because the problem is, the rule of thirds, a third of the people do all the work and they get burnt out. So you actually need to take time to prioritize yourself and rest. Third question is this, how much value do you place on this? How much value do you place on this mission? For the disciples, it meant everything to go, everything to follow. They left everything to do it. What does it mean to you? The last question is, who are you telling about Jesus this week? Who are the people that you're going to talk to about Jesus this week? Not in a a month's time, not in a fortnight's time, not when you might feel like it. Who are you going to tell about Jesus? Who are you going to see come to church next week? Who are you going to bring with you? Who are you going to preach the gospel to this week? Pray about it, seek about it, and let's see this town turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much, folks.